When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your post game Buckeye Talk. We are in Ryan Field. After Ohio State's 21 to 7 victory over Northwestern, we're going to try to break down this game. We talked to Ryan Day, CJ Stroud, Mayan Williams, Tommy Eichenberg, and Emeka Abuka afterward. Nathan, Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. I guess the thing that we're trying to do on this entire postgame podcast is to figure out what this means for Ohio State. How much meaning are you taking away from a game where Ohio State was favored by five touchdowns, won 21 to seven with apparently 25 to 30 mile per hour wins, gusts maybe up to 40 miles per hour that clearly affected the game. Multiple people, Ryan Day, Emeka, Abuka, I think CJ Stroud, everyone's saying they never really had played in a game like this. So it was weird, but does it matter? Did we, did it tell us something about Ohio State, the way this game unfolded on Saturday? On one hand, you want to say, well, listen, they were rendered completely one-dimensional. Both teams were, and that that makes it very difficult to get anything going offensively. I understand that. But the last time they were in adverse conditions, and it wasn't quite this bad, obviously, just because it was snowing in Ann Arbor. But, like, that game didn't go that well. This game didn't go that well. And it's hard to call that a trend. Enough has changed. But you still want to see, I think at the end of the day, that the way that I land is, no matter what the conditions are, that Ohio State should still, if there's nine guys in the box, then Ohio State should have its nine guys and win that in a more forceful way than what it was winning it today. It's where I come at the end of the day, regardless of how tough it was to throw the ball and regardless of how that is an Ohio State's strength, first primary strength as far as running the ball, when it's forced to against Northwestern, a team that might have been like worst overall team in the Big Ten coming into today, Northwestern, possibly, like losers of six straight, just lost they to Iowa 33-13. They haven't, they haven't won, won a game North on America. American soil. Yes. I mean, they just lost to North, uh, to Iowa 33-13, um, a team that has to be 54-10. I know the transitive property doesn't always work, but it works a little bit. And to, to, to have had to, like, scrape 
just to get a tie with them at halftime is an indictment of something to me. This offensive line is not getting the job done. It's mine. Williams was fighting for his life a lot of the time just to get back to the line of scrimmage. And even his touchdown run, that's him. He made that happen because he was making plays with his leg and fighting guys off and breaking guys off and getting there. Uh, you take very little from the CJ Stroud running part of this. It's, it was very obvious at this point that, yes, he was going to have to run the ball eventually today because if not, they were just going to gang up on Mayan Williams all day. So from that standpoint, you learned, okay, when they're in a situation where it's you absolutely have to have CJ run, he can, but I don't see them relying on that. Going, It's no epitome of like, oh, wait, now CJ Stroud's part of the run game. No, he's not. They want to use him in the pocket. They want to use his arm. And not, Ryan Day said that much during the press conference when we talked to him after the game. And so it's – Kudos to the defense for, you know, they got gashed a couple of times, but they only gave up seven points, so kudos to them. But this offensive line is not getting the job done right now. They're not winning one-on-one battles. And you shouldn't be able to say that about an offensive line that's got two five-stars, two other top 100 recruits, and another guy who he wasn't a top – he was not even a top 1,000 recruit, but he's clearly, you know, become a diamond in the rough for this offensive line. And that that unit's not getting it done right now. Steven sounds so angry. You've been you've been sagging. You have an edge. You have an edge to yourself. You have an edge in the post game videos. So <laughs> I think that's right, though. That kind of what you both are saying is, I think it's fair to expect more from Ohio State and from. They have said this. They have made it a focus. They have made it. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to have a toughness conversation for nine months. But they've been very willing to have a toughness conversation with the way the season unfolded last year. They've been very willing to talk about, hey, passing stats are great, but we're all about wins. They've been willing. They were very excited about the way they won the Notre Dame game by running it late. And so they have made that a priority for themselves. And Coming off the Iowa and Penn State games where they averaged 3.5 yards per carry combined in those two games, and they were 8.8 yards per attempt passing the ball. And I was like, well, yeah, I just don't throw it. Just don't run it. Yeah, don't run it. It's fine. Like what? Like what? What's going to happen? Are you going to play a game with, I don't know what, 40-mile-per-hour wind gusts? What would stop you from throwing? And then it's like, oh, no. Well, you, then it was this. So in that situation, the idea that they kind of couldn't do it and that Northwestern certainly figured it out quicker. Northwestern figured it out, I think, on its third drive. Ohio State, first six drives, five punts, stopped on downs, first six drives. The game changed on the C.J. Stroud fourth and one keeper. Up to that point, including that drive on the seventh drive, and that was the seventh drive of the game for the Ohio State offense, Mayan Williams on the first three plays of that series had gone two yards, five yards, two yards, so three carries for nine yards total. At that point, Ohio State on the ground had 12 carries for 33 yards total in the game at that point. Mayan Williams had 10 carries for 20 yards. Emeka Abuka had one carry for six, and CJ had a scramble for seven. 12 for 33 at that point in the game. And they go for it on fourth down, and it's a read and CJ keeps it and goes around the edge and picks up 16 yards. The next play, CJ scrambles for six. The next play is Abuka, a 15-yard jet sweep for a touchdown, Nathan. So until that moment, the CJ keeper changes the game. But until that moment, and they're losing 7-0 because at that point, Northwestern has figured out, hey, just snap it to the running back and run, and they were gashing some stuff. Again, Northwestern figured it out first. 
So let's talk about that fourth and one first, how big we think that moment was, Nathan, for the way this game unfolded and and what CJ said about that after the game. Yeah, and I know what you were saying because we alluded to this in some of the discussions we had after the game about how the the Abuka touchdown and the Williams touchdown were actually the two biggest runs of the game because they put points on the board. And and the Williams run too, he broke some tackles and stuff. We'll get, I guess maybe we'll talk about those things later. But I had written, and I think I still believe that the actual two biggest runs of the game, the biggest run of the game is this fourth and one one, I think. Because if they don't convert that, and frankly, it wasn't a guarantee that they were going to convert that. They were 0 of 8 at least to start this game on third down. I think I know it was at least 0 of 8, and I, I don't keep track as to whether when they actually converted and, their first one. And, and I will interrupt you here to, to add to your point briefly. Their third drive had ended because they were stopped on third and one, Mayan mm-hmm. Williams for zero yards. And their fourth drive had ended because Mayan Williams on third and one was stopped for zero, and on fourth and one was stopped for zero. Correct. So that was a particular... They were running the ball with the tailback on third and fourth and short and getting nothing. Correct. So as they line up for fourth and one, I don't know that there's extreme confidence that they're going to figure out what to do with the ball there. Even at that stage of the game, second quarter, they've got the wind at their back. That gives them a little bit more option. You could actually run something and throw it to Cade Stover or one of the wide receivers short and and convert it. We've seen them do that sort of thing in short yardage. But I thought it was crucial that they found a way to convert that at all because they needed to keep what little momentum they had at that point going. They, Oh my God, an entire half of Ohio state football went by with almost like no momentum for the offense. Like that's really kind of unfathomable. And especially for it to be happening against Northwestern, I don't care what the conditions are due respect to Pat Fitzgerald's many years of success here. But so it was, it was important to do it in any way. I think it was also a little bit important for it to happen the way it did. I mean, CJ saying I have those reads every week, um, but they, they clearly try to not have him run the ball if they don't have to. And it's almost like he has never run the ball because then when he absolutely needed to and remake the read in that moment, it was there for him because he said after the game, I asked him about that play specifically. And he talked about the nickel curling around to take out Mayan. And he said something along the lines of, because I don't think he thought I could or would run the ball. Like almost like the guy had just given up that the, that Stroud would keep the ball. And once he did, and it it wasn't just that he converted the fourth and one, now it's a 16 yard run. And now Northwestern's back is against the wall a little bit defensively and Ohio State's able to finish off that drive and capitalize. So, I, I do think it, it is one of those things. This is one of my philosophies of life, if people want to try to borrow this. Never lie. Never lie. Be a very honest person so that you can really set up the lie that you really need to tell at that point in your life. It's like that guy, Save him. Yeah. that person never lies. I've, I've got like 49 years, never lied. But man, when I do, it's going to be a doozy and it is going to bail me out. So, Stephen, like it is that. It's sort of what you had said, Stephen. Th- this is one of those after the Maryland game in 2018, Dwayne Haskins ran it a couple times in type game and yep. people got very excited. And it's like, okay, I get it. CJ had that run for 16. He had the run, Nathan, that you're referencing at the end for 44. That's two carries for 60 yards. He had four other carries for 19 yards. Okay. But part of why it worked in a got to have it can't throw it game, admittedly, right, is they've been setting it up for a season and two-thirds that this guy is not particularly good at this and doesn't want to do it. They don't want him to do it. So, aha. So I guess I don't know what to do with that other than 
I guess a fourth and one keeper on a zone read might work in the national title game too, but it's not a primary thing, Stephen. So like, but 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 I think we can acknowledge both things. It's not kind of not the thing. It's not what they're going to do. It's not a, really a sign of things to come. But boy, he hit two on Saturday that really mattered. It's a thing because it might be interesting when they play Michigan. I think I even said this to you because uh, he ran like a QB draw, and I was like. It feels like Ohio State's having to pull some stuff out this week that they weren't trying to pull out until the Michigan week. And something like that is a prime example of that because of the reason CJ Stroud gave. People don't, they don't think he's going to run, but more importantly, they don't think he can run because he never does it, which is why it worked for Dwayne Haskins against Maryland. But it's also why the first play they ran in 2018 against Michigan was a read option and he, and Dwayne kept it. And after the game, he's like, yeah, yeah, I wanted that play call just to set a tone. Now, granted, he didn't run the rest of the game, so whatever. But maybe down the line, sure, there's a play where it's fourth and one or third and two, and a DN or a linebacker or a blitzing nickel crashes so hard that CJ keeps it. This puts that on film, so maybe the next time that happens, the, the DN or the linebacker this, or the nickel, uh, a nickel cornerback is a little more hesitant to do that. But for the most part, they're not – CJ Stroud, how many times did he run it today? He ran it six times? Six. Six. I would put the over under on him running in a, in a game where like you're not including sacks at two per game going forward. Yeah, and that might even be a stretch. Yeah, it's like the, the four for nineteen. Other than those two, that's a big day for him. Usually, you take out yeah. the sixteen, take out the forty-four. Like four for nineteen, that's a big day. I would actually flip what you said though, Stephen. I think it's more important that teams didn't think he would then didn't think he could because once you don't think he will then you don't care if he can almost if you think he just absolutely isn't going to run the that ball that was dr seuss that was dr that's seuss. fair, that's fair. <laughs> but if, if you don't think he's ever going to run the ball then why do you you don't care he could be usain bolt but if you think he's never going to run it with it why do you care and i think it's, it's what I've been saying for a couple of weeks going back to some stuff that happened in the Iowa game that like if defenses just had to had to factor him in a little bit more but now I guess the maybe Ryan Day would say that the opposite is true that like because defenses didn't factor him in at all when they absolutely had to have it which is the only time they really want to do it it worked better and it's one of the things like I, I get it I, he, he read it effectively I don't even like there was nobody there even the 44 yarder, there's nobody there. He had two blockers on the edge. He didn't run That's, past anybody, right. through anybody, around yeah. anybody, which is not a criticism, but also we'll just acknowledge the thing. The reason it worked is because he never does it. So then once you do it, whatever. So I think we, I just, I, it, it's not, people, everybody else can have a 90 minute conversation about that. I do want to talk about those early drives though. When they're 12 for 33 in the first six and a half drives, 12 carries, 33 yards as a team. Northwestern gave up 35 carries for 221 rushing yards against Duke when they got out physical by Duke, who actually in week two, turns out Duke is pretty good. That was 6.3 yards per carry for Duke. Against Miami of Ohio, Miami of Ohio's running back ran 21 times for 171 yards. Miami of Ohio. Braylon Allen from Wisconsin ran it 23 times for 135 against Northwestern. Roman Hemby from Maryland ran at 24 times for 179 yards against Northwestern. It's like lead backs, right? Caleb Joseph for Iowa last week ran at 13 times for 93 yards. They were 109th in the nation, Nathan, coming into this game and the rushing yards per game allowed. So 
a large chunk of the reason that the previous two weeks that I sort of excused the Ohio State run game was like, well, I was pretty good at stopping the run. Penn State's pretty good at stopping the run. What, Northwestern's not good at anything, really, honestly. No. No. And Ohio State, even with nine guys in the box, we've already covered that, and we'll go back and watch it again. But I did not feel like all the tackles were being made by unblocked guys. I did not feel like all the tackles were being made like, well, there's a safety in the hole, and what are you supposed to do? I felt like they were like guys were getting pushed back. I felt like, as you said, Stephen, Ohio State offensive linemen were not winning one-on-one matchups. There were not holes there, it felt like. And this is a defense. Northwestern's defense has given that up all year. So to, to, to me, even if you know Ohio State's going to do it, Ohio State should be able to do it. Now, one of the things we have to talk about is we kind of wondered all week, like, is Mayan Williams going to play? Mayan Williams, after the game, was like, that ah, a minor injury, I'm fine. Trevion Henderson didn't play, didn't even make the trip. That wasn't particularly on our radar, Nathan, coming into this game that Trevion Henderson would not be playing here on Saturday. And we'll get an answer to that next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Doug Nathan and Stephen back. So Nathan, as we try to evaluate this run game, let's talk about that first. What are we to make of Dallin Hayden didn't play, Chip Trainum didn't play. They're backs two and three right now in a world where Trayvon Henderson's not in Evanston. It was all Mayan Williams. Trayvon Henderson missed some holes last week. I do think we probably all agree this offense operates at its best when they are both playing. But there have been a lot of games for whatever reason. Well, just weird health reasons for both of them. But there have been a lot of games this year where they have not had both. So how do you think Mayan Williams having to do it by himself factored in to the lack of early success in the run game? Is that a big part of it? Not a big part of it. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to say it's not a big part of it. So they had the game against Wisconsin where they both ran for over 100 yards. And I think there's been five games since then, five or five games since then. And only one of those games has both of them been healthy through the whole game or because there's other games where one of them just didn't play at all. And one or the other. And that was the Iowa game was when they were both still healthy and Iowa pretty much stifled them. But we've seen other instances where, I mean, not having Trevion Henderson didn't prevent Mayan Williams from running for five touchdowns and a bunch of yards against Rutgers, which is a similar caliber team, obviously, to what Northwestern is. So I'm inclined to say that it is not the lack of having a second guy that was a contributing factor here. I do think, though, it was interesting to me that Mayan Williams, who, regardless of how minor the injury was, he did have his hand wrapped up. I, I wonder just how much that was going to affect him today and whether Ohio State would try to incorporate those other guys. I'd asked Ryan Day earlier in the week where Chip Trainum is in terms of his getting up to speed as a running back. And he said, no, he's he's full-time running back now. He's ready to go. He'll be ready to play Saturday. So will Dallin Hayden. And like you said, neither one of them saw the field. And as we discussed after last week's game, Ryan Day is such a, I mean, all coaches are, but like he's just so, super paranoid about taking care of the football. And I wonder if that's a factor there. Like in a game that was this close where they knew that the way it was playing out, that any turnover, and there were none, like any turnover could have been catastrophic. 
that maybe it was just a ball security thing that they didn't think that the problems were necessarily Mayan's problems with the run game and that you're better off trusting him than putting in a true freshman or a guy who's only been working out a running back full time for the last couple of weeks. And for the, there was only 61 plays and I understand Mayan Williams got the ball 26 times because they started running the ball a lot, but a lot of those runs came especially late when they were trying to put the game away, but there weren't a ton of plays to go around. So to that point, it's when there's not a ton of plays to go around, you're probably not going that deep, especially at that position where maybe ball security might be an issue. When one guy's a true freshman and the other guy's been a run, back at playing running back for two weeks now. What did you think, Steven? Did you think if Travion was here and healthy that it would have they, – would they have run it better if they were back going alternating series with those two? No. Oddly enough, I think the running back that needed to be available the last two weeks was the running back who was available because Travion Henderson is the home run hitting back of the two. And eventually that Penn State game came down to Travion Henderson running for a 41-yard touchdown because a hole opened wide open. While Mayan is the more physical, I'm going to run down your face, you know, you, you might get me in the backfield, but I'm still going to get back to the line of scrimmage back. And they needed that today. And that was shown in his touchdown run as well. So no, I think of course they'd love to have both of them, but if you're only going to have one, the right one was available for both games. Oddly enough. So I tried to break, I broke down the run game into early middle and late for Ohio state on Saturday. Early was everything before the fourth and one CJ keep. And again, at that point, they were 12 carries for 33 as a team. Mayan was 10 for 20. Late was the last two drives, which includes the CJ 44-yard run, which set up the final touchdown. And then also their last possession, which was just Mayan getting 40-yard chunks to sort of run out the clock. That was the last two drives. It was Mayan 9 for 37. Team overall, 11 for 84, because you throw in a 44-yarder there from CJ, right? And I'm not dismissing that because they needed that last touchdown to put it away, but it it was put-away time, not game-winning time necessarily. So, But the middle, the middle, everything in between that, after the fourth and one, the fourth and one included and after, and everything before the last two drives. Mayan, 7 for 54, which that's making some money. The team, 11 for 94 on the ground. And I do think as much as like it didn't work, and it did, Mayan Williams' third quarter touchdown run was like one of the best football plays of the season for Ohio State. They had they did nothing on their first six drives. Their seventh drive, which turned out to be their last of the first half, was a touchdown. And then their eighth drive was their first of the second half, and they scored a touchdown because on third down, I think it was third down, Mayan Williams just ran forward got like three yards, hit a guy like he was a bull hitting a matador, bounced outside, and then just got 20 more yards and got to the end zone, Nathan, all by himself. So all those things, that's the thing. It's like I don't think Ohio State really ever found anything that worked, but CJ made a nice pull on fourth and one. Hey, you get a block at the end, he gets a 44-yard run. And Mayan Williams had an ex- – I thought extraordinary, given the circumstances of the game, Nathan – I thought the twenty-seven yard touchdown run was extraordinary. And 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 if you think it's like it's seven seven at that yeah. point, that's what put them ahead for the first time all game. Cause the guy just ran forward, plowed a dude, and kept going. And so that 
moment. I, and it's one of those things. I have tried to – no, I've believed it. I've really believed Ohio State the previous two weeks against Iowa and Penn State was working stuff out. We're working it out. We're figuring it out. We're figuring it out. That's not figuring. I didn't think that was like, oh, don't worry. Mine will run a guy over. It wasn't anything that they did. It was just in that moment, Mayan Williams refused to be tackled. It was huge. But I don't want to call it lucky because he also does that. But but think about the game without that. Think about the game if he doesn't do that by himself right there. And I don't think that you necessarily could count on that given the way the, the first half unfolded. So what a moment. All credit to Mayan Williams. But I didn't think Ohio State did much of anything to create that. It kind of just happened. So, I mean, Stephen brings up the the Trevan Henderson touchdown run from last week. I mean, in both games, I think you saw an example of what these backs can do best. Like, you know, Trevion Henderson taking that lane and turning it into a breakaway touchdown and Mayan Williams, you know, keeping himself alive until he could get outside and make that something like both of those are like almost the, the example of what those guys can do best. It's just been inconsistent. And you've seen great plays blocked out by this offensive line over the past couple of weeks, but it's been inconsistent. They've had other games, other instances where they're just getting blown up. And that's where I think the run game has to make its progress. It's not like you have to build this, strip this down and build it from the studs up again, but there has to be a better level of consistency. And that's what it came down to me today. Going back to what you said earlier about it, it's, it's okay to look at this game despite the conditions and say that Ohio state, should be better and should should impose itself more in games like this because at the end they should have that talent advantage they had you know what they have on the field with Mayan Williams and Trevian Henderson and this offensive line is better than what Northwestern is counting with no matter what the numbers are and that isn't winning out enough uh, you could you could the, the Iowa thing was a weird game and that's what they do best and maybe you could excuse that and in the Penn State they finally had the breakthrough late but this was really more, despite that success they had in the middle, uh, the middle of the game, was still almost the more troubling one because it just took so long to get going. And I know, again, I know Northwestern was stacking the box, but Ohio State could counter that and still wasn't getting any progress. It was third and three. And like, imagine if it gets two there, and now it's fourth and one. And now, now yep. what do you got to do? You're not going to try to kick a field goal. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to go for it again. And even though CJ had the good pull, every time you tried to run before, you got stopped. And instead, it's a 27-yard touchdown. Like, holy moly, like, where did that come from? So, um, and and the Emeka, Emeka had a six-yarder, and then they had the 15-yard touchdown, which which was really important. And they did work that in. And talking to Emeka Abuka after the game, he carried the ball a lot in high school. He's used to that. Um, he said he was... He thought it'd be rainier today. He he kind of didn't believe that it really was going to be 40 mile per hour gusts. And then it like it really was. And, and he was talking about how, especially if you're throwing into the wind, the ball just died and all that kind of thing. So it was really important to be able to work him into the run game. And it's not like if the quarterback or running back carries it, it doesn't count. So I don't want to be like, well, you know, though they do. And those were really important. But Steven, I still, I think it is also fair to revert to man to man hand it to the tailback, no surprise, let's go win some battles. And I was, I, now listen, I want to give credit, and I'm, I, I'm not, I'm going to say his last name wrong, so I'm not going to say it, but number 99 for Northwestern on the defensive line is, is quite a good player, and I did think he was a problem for them. At a Baware, I apologize. He's a re, he was a, a very good player for them. But this is a team that has been 
consistently run on by tailbacks all year. And so that's the thing, Stephen, that that to me that's going to stick with this. And again, I don't think they're going to play another game with 40-mile-per-hour wins. I don't think they'll play in a blizzard this year. The last three games they'll have to win to win a national championship should be ideal weather. But who knows what Michigan is going to be like the last Saturday in November in Columbus. And I thought, hey, I get that it's windy, but boy, oh boy, you sure kind of could not do much because it was windy. And I thought I ex- I expected more of Ohio State in a situation like that. And that to me, I don't I think that might stick with them a little bit. It certainly it certainly has affected more than anything the previous two weeks. My view of things has changed a little bit because I was surprised how little they could come out and win one-on-one battles when they really needed to for the first six and a half drives on Saturday. And and that's the key there. Yeah. Once they get on that stage, it doesn't matter because you're playing all your games either in really, really nice weather or you're playing them indoor. And so that's, we know what Ohio State does when they get in indoor situations. The problem is you're in the Big Ten and you have to get onto that stage. And I, I said it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. For the most part, Ohio State's passing game cures all. So who cares about all this other stuff until you have a day where it doesn't have a chance to cure all because it's taken away by an outside element. This year it was, you know, last year was the Michigan game where, you know, uh, it, it was either early on because CJ Stroud was young against Oregon or it was late against Michigan where it's snowing, but then Aiden Hutchinson is just living in his face all day. This year so far it's been Chicago Windy City shows up to play, and so you literally cannot throw the ball. We don't know what the weather is going to look like that last week in November. So what if you are in a situation like that again where it is snowing in Columbus, and all of a sudden you can't throw the ball the way you want to throw the ball? Michigan actually does have a – they don't have an Aiden Hutchinson, but they got a pretty decent defensive line as well. So what if all that happens again, and so now you can't throw the ball? And we're not talking about the creative stuff of getting a Macabuka the ball on the perimeter or, you know, when they're – tackle eligible or doing the jumbo packages. We're talking about what Justin Fry said the first time we talked to him. It's third and two. Everybody knows you're running the ball. Can you convert it? And there were there have been way too many times the last two weeks, three weeks really, where they haven't converted those opportunities. It has been. We ended up talking a lot in the offseason about third and two, right? And it mm-hmm. feels like a lot of them have come up. There actually have been like we were like, oh, what's their play on third and two? And their play seems to be like, I don't know, try to run and have it not work. Eh, you know, uh, run it. What happened? Oh, it didn't work. Like we're we're the ninth game, and we're still having that conversation. It's a little hard to to, to wrap your head around um, to some degree. So I I think in my 18 seasons covering Ohio State, this is like the third time Wind has done something like this. You guys remember 2011, that crazy year at Illinois. Braxton Miller was one for four. They completed one pass the whole game. But in that game, I think Dan Heron had a big rushing game. Braxton ran it pretty decent. It's just like it's a different animal. 2016 at Michigan State, you can't really throw it, but they did run it on the ground. Mike Weber was over 100 yards that game. Uh, JT Barrett ran it 20 times. And it, it is just a little bit of a different animal. And um, I just the, the thing, Nathan, that you had brought up after the game, it's the idea of something taking away the Ohio State passing attack. Something takes that away and you have to go to something else. And it's like, what could take that away? And to me, it's only something like this. What do you think could take it away? What, how likely do you think it is that between now and the end of Ohio State season, whenever that is, that there may be another day where the passing game gets taken away by something? 
Well, it's certainly difficult to imagine them being rendered one-dimensional by something other than this. I don't know that I think anything could do that. I don't think there's a defense out there that can render them one-dimensional, at least by taking away the pass. I suppose it could happen the other way, but I I, yeah. I, I don't think of a defense out there, Georgia, Clemson, whatever, is going to be so good either from a pressure creation standpoint or a coverage standpoint or combination thereof that Ohio State feels like it just cannot throw the ball. But I think it's worth asking if there's a defense out there that can interrupt that enough that then it heightens the importance of being able to run the ball. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it then makes it makes them have to be more efficient at running the ball than they've been the last three weeks in order to win. I think that is definitely on the table. You have a game against Georgia, which is shutting down Tennessee right now as we record this. You've got a, a front like Clemson's that can get after it. Like if, although Ohio State has pass protected well for the most part, despite what's going on with the run game. But you know what I'm saying? Like if, if you get into a situation where now CJ Stroud and the whole passing game is left just adequate, then now being inadequate at the run leaves you very vulnerable, especially with what all those teams can still do offensively. Although Clemson probably doesn't belong in that conversation. So I do think that, and, and, and to but we're me, jumping ahead. Things, I should be talking about Michigan. I should be talking about Michigan, not Clemson and Georgia. I, well, it is. And, and Michigan is a conversation because as we were saying, the last three games, weather won't be a factor. If you get some goofy weather, and that's basically what I said, I think I said they failed the Michigan test is what my, my post game column was. That And I said, like, against Georgia last year, Michigan failed the Ohio State test, which is like, hey, if you're playing Georgia, you got to be able to throw it. And Michigan couldn't throw it well enough. They didn't score a touchdown until the final five minutes when the game was over. And the result of not being able to throw was like, you can't compete. So the result of not being able to run today was like, boy, like, this was a problem. And I do think it is fair to do this kind of thing. Like, if they had played Michigan today, they would have lost. It's not even a conversation. So if if there are 40-mile-per-hour gusts for the Ohio State-Michigan game, they're going to lose. So, do I think there will be 40-mile-per-hour gusts? No. So, if there aren't 40-mile-per-hour gusts, then I think Ohio State's in pretty good shape. So, to me, the, the two things that could happen here to, to shut down their passing offense are, one's an extreme weather condition like this, extreme rain, extreme snow, extreme wind, which, again, is, like, unusual. And the other is C.J. Stroud's abducted by aliens. And so, like, that conversation, I'm like, well, do you have enough? Like, hey, lots of teams that wind up in a situation where you've got to try to win with your backup quarterback. Now, this leads me to believe, like, I don't know. I'd have some questions about that. And that's not doubting Kyle McCord. It's like, well, hey, if your backup quarterback is in, you're probably going to have to lean on the run game a little bit more. And this is not a primary run game. It's like a complementary run game. Talking about complementary football, it is not a primary run game. Because if Michigan had to do this today, Michigan would be like, oh, no, there's nine guys in the box. That's cool. We'll just block everybody and Blake Corn will make somebody miss and it'll be over. And again, if to me, if you are an Ohio State fan, you should not want to trade the Ohio State offense for the Michigan offense. I think you should take the Michigan offense first because you saw what happened when the Michigan offense got to Georgia last year. But it there are moments. There are moments. And so this was a moment. Because the thing of it is, Stephen, like I kind of didn't believe it. I think that's what I've came to the conclusion of like, okay, well, like Iowa's pretty good. Penn State's pretty good. But like, you know, I mean, I don't know. And then like, I just, I think I'm repeating myself, Stephen, but like, I'm, I'm pretty shocked actually. Like for their first 12 carries to go for 33 yards and to be tied with Northwestern at the half, like, I don't care how windy it is. Like I am, I am shocked by that because Northwestern is not good. And there's something specific I want to I want to get to about that, but like, is it? Are you shocked 
by this, Stephen, or are you more like, well, you know, you kind of saw it coming? Because I think some people would say, well, I saw this coming. I'm shocked that the run game is this bad. I guess, uh, listen, weather is weather, right? You can't, you can only, I mean, I don't do that for a living, but there are people who predict the weather, but there's only so much you can predict with the weather. During the, when you see this team for two straight weeks in a row, struggle to run the ball, but eventually the passing game goes, it's okay, because we just started throwing 40-yard bombs and there was nothing a defense could do about that. It's very easy to just assume that that's going to happen every single week. And it, it, I even with me saying that, I don't know, I'm still a little edgy about it. I'm not, I wasn't saying that because I knew that they were going to go up to Evanston, Illinois, and it was going to be 40-mile-per-hour winds, and they weren't going to be able to throw the ball at all. But I thought that, Today, because Northwestern is second to last in run game defense, that this would be a good game for Ohio State to establish its run game and to be able to move the ball a little bit, regardless of what was going on with the weather and any of that stuff. And that didn't happen. I was shocked that a clearly more talented team didn't look like a more cl- a clearly more talented team for basically 60 minutes. And I do think, I think maybe the whole entire conversation about like Ohio State establishing its run game should be stopped because yes. like, so just, is this going to lead us like Nathan? Are we going to be like, well, you know, they didn't run it against Northwestern. They better go out against Indiana and establish the run. It's like, what are we, like how much do you have to not establish the run to end the conversation about whether you're going to establish, establish the run or not? Or are they going to come back next week and be like, no, we're going to do that. I still think it's possible that that is going to be a topic of conversation. But I also think that in a game where, again, listen, if if this game had been anything close to normal, I think that's maybe how it would have played out to some extent. I think they would have emphasized the run more. I think they would have been able to have more success. But the weather conditions played, played into that. Uh, I, I think it's still going to be, though, it, it, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter that they're not putting up 200 yards rushing as a team. I think it could matter critically that they're not getting third and one against Northwestern. So why should you expect them to get third and one against Michigan, Clemson, Georgia, etc.? That's that's where your season gets decided. Your season doesn't get decided on a 12-yard run from your own 34 by Trevion Henderson in the second quarter of a game that's basically the same score, and you still have to keep driving after that. Like that's those plays come and go, but like the 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 plays that decide the season could be third and one. They know you're running the ball. Everyone, all 80,000 people in the stadium, whatever, know you're running the ball and all the millions of people watching on TV. And does your guy beat their guy and get the yard? That's where it's coming down to right now. And they're not passing that test often enough. They're passing it sometimes. So we can't, they obviously had some crucial wins in those situations the last couple of weeks. I just don't think it's happening often enough to be considered successful at the caliber that we're, that they're going to have to play at, like with the stakes that are going to be on the line the next time that third and one comes up. 4-15 on third down for Ohio State, 2-4 of four on fourth down. Northwestern was 9-20 of 20 on third down, which is actually pretty good, but 0-4 on fourth down, which was really critical. And so there's a couple more things we want to talk about next on Buckeye Talk. So one thing I want to mention is I hope you put your kid through college on the under, 55 and a half. Uh, I did say in the pregame show, like, I this is it. The under is your bet. This is the bet to make the under, the under, the under. And it went way, way, way under. We all lost our shirts on Ohio State minus 38 and a half. We all took Ohio State minus 38 and a half and weren't close on that. Also, 
in our, our prop bet pits uh, by CJ Stroud under 293 and a half passing yards. My under on that, money time. So we hope you – that would have been a nice parlay. Parlay the Ohio State under the C.J. Stroud passing yard under. I was cutting a commercial – maybe you're hearing it in this podcast. Cutting a commercial the other day for the for the same-game parlays for one of the sites. And it's like, oh, it's your parlay. It's like that is the best same-game parlay you ever could have hoped for in your entire life. So I do want to talk a little bit about play calling. Third series, they're stopped on third and one on a Mayan Williams run. They punt. Fourth series, they're stopped on third and one and stopped on fourth and one on Mayan Williams runs, and they punt. Their fifth and sixth series, Nathan, there's a couple penalties in there, and I think one of these may have been like a basically like a pop pass, like jet sweep that was called a pass, but really was kind of like a run. But the bottom line is their fifth series, all passes. Their sixth series, all passes. After they were stopped on the short yardage runs, on series three and series four, series five and six, they were like, well, that's not working. Let's try to throw it again. And guess what? That didn't work either. Like, I think they completed one pass in each of those or whatever. They didn't go three and out. They went four and out on both those drives, which then led us to the seventh series, which is when they finally scored. I didn't think Ryan Day did a great job of kind of like trying to figure out what to do here of can you throw it? Can you not throw it? There were a bunch of drops, but also like you kind of knew there were going to be a bunch of drops. And we'll talk about some of the receiving stuff before we get out of here. Northwestern, again, figured it out quicker with the direct snaps to the running backs. I thought today would have been a great so they didn't run any bubble screens today. They did sort of run the jet sweeps instead, which is, again, you want to stretch them horizontally. It's a way to do it. I almost I almost like felt like did we shame Ryan Day into like not doing bubble screens anymore? They, I, well, they did one maybe. So th- they, they did they one didn't. late. One late. Yeah, Marvin Harrison caught it and then turned around and ran into Emeka Buka's back and got okay. just like a couple yards. Okay, so they didn't, they didn't really do that. They threw one tight end screen to Cade Stover. That worked a little bit, but not great. But I thought this would have been a great day to throw screens to Travion Henderson, and he wasn't here. And the running back who was here had a hand injury, Nathan. So I don't know if that affected things. But even, I mean, some of the, they ended up taking some deep shots that were just nowhere close. I mean, CJ missed some throws, like airmailed some stuff, which is, he was talking about, I'm trying to zip it through the wind. And you could tell like, well, I tried to zip that. And maybe the wind died down and I overthrew the guy by five yards. There was definitely overcompensating on some of these throws. Couple maybe where there, it looked like there was some miscommunication on the routes of Mecca was talking about, Hey, our hands are so good. Sometimes maybe you get a little lazy with your eye control and you're not watching the ball into your hands. And guess what? On a windy day, if you're not watching the ball into your hands, you're not going to catch it. So they wound up like they just were. I, I thought, again, I, I thought the last couple of weeks, even though it took a while, I thought they were always working it out, Nathan. I thought they were always on the path to working it out against Iowa and Penn State. And eventually they did. I thought they stumbled through this one. And and I'm I'm I just I did not think it was a great day for Ryan Day. Even as hard as it was, I didn't think they figured it out very well. So I understand the point you're making about those fifth and sixth series, but remember the, by the time you get to the fifth and sixth series, they're into the second quarter. Now they're the wind is at their back. I think some of that is not necessarily a distrust of the run game. I think some of it is a we know that half of this game we're not going to have this opportunity. We need to throw the ball right now while we can. But I think you're, we're also seeing... And That's then, a very good point. That's then, a very good point. And then hearing from C.J. Stroud and Mecca after the game was that then even when they flipped the field, 
the win threw off the passing game because right. Ibuko was saying that sometimes that ball was getting on you faster than you expected. Um, CJ was saying that you, it's not, he was joking that you can't like throw blades of grass in the air. It was actually a pretty funny press conference with him. And there've been a few of those this year. His personality has come through a little bit more, but like, he's not like, licking a finger and put it in the air or whatever to like, Oh, here's where the wind's going. Like it's, you're trying the best you can. And I think uh, you're it's, I think that muscle memory is probably hard to go back and forth in the middle of a game. So the, the past game was always thrown off. And there were also though, some miscommunications on like a couple of passes where he threw a ball downfield where a guy was supposed to be. And he wasn't, I mean, there's two that like that really come to my head. One was a downfield look kind of up the seam that I think was for Fleming. Might have been Abuka. And then there was another the, one. The one the Fleming, I think the, the, the wind kind of took that one as well. I think it bit. sailed on him a little bit maybe. And then there was another one that was to either Fleming or Harrison off to the side where there was just nobody there. Like somebody just didn't run the route. They they were they were completely not on the right. So there was some of that happening too, which we've seen some instances of that the last few weeks. But I, I would I I don't know. I, I think that today just I understand what you're what you're getting at, but I also think today just threw everything off. And once they knew that they were because again, once that first quarter happens, and they even said this like for the third quarter, uh, it was Northwestern's decision. They had deferred. They were going to get the ball. So Ohio State took the wind to start the third quarter rather than take it for the fourth quarter, which I guess they would have had, right. They would have had the option to decide which end they wanted to defend at that point. And you would think maybe naturally like, well, we want the wind at our back in the fourth quarter in case we absolutely have to go kick a field goal. Absolutely have to make a drive. He said they took it for the third because they felt like they had to go out and win the third quarter. And they didn't really do it so much with the pass, obviously, but I think that spoke to sort of the urgency that, he felt when they had the wind at their back, they had to take as much advantage as they could. Yeah. And, but that's been a theme with day outside of that Penn state game last week. Cause it got started a little bit later than usual. Typically that third quarter is when you really see things start clicking for a state's office and they go on those runs. I think the, the quit in the past game, uh, there's one play in the third quarter, actually where the ball just got, taken up in the wind and ended up going like five yards further than it was supposed to go. And it's Julian Fleming going up the, the left sideline and it's, it's against cover two. It's a throw that CJ Stroud has made religiously, especially this year. And it's probably a touchdown pass, but the wind's going 35, 40 miles per hour. So instead it ends up going three, four yards ahead of where Julian Fleming is and sails out of bounds at that point. And you just see the dejection on Fleming's face. You see it in CJ Stroud's body language. You saw it in Ryan Day's body language. That was clearly like, okay, we can beat these guys one-on-one, but it doesn't matter because the ball keeps sailing on us. So we're just going to quit doing this at this point. I thought there was also some decent defensive scheming and coverage by Northwestern in this game. I distinctly remember this, looking at the numbers. And at one point in this game, Marvin Harrison Jr. had one target and Julie or Emeka Buka had one target and Julian Fleming had seven targets. And they all had one reception, I think, but Julian Fleming had seven of the nine targets among the receivers, which isn't like the disparity is never that lopsided. And some of that I think was how, you know, that keeping the safeties high and, and giving extra coverage to those guys and sort of forcing Stroud to look for Julian as much as he did early. Marvin Harrison, five catches for 51. Everybody else, five catches for 25. Ten completions for 76 passing yards. 
Marvin Harrison Jr., five catches on eight targets. Cade Stover, two catches on four targets. Emeka Abuka, two catches on four targets. Julian Fleming, one catch on nine targets. So there was a point, though, where, like, I think the first time they kind of hit Marvin for one of those little slants that seemed to work so much against Penn State, I was like, well, just keep doing that one again. And again, it's not that, that, not that easy. But, Stephen, you and I were talking about this a little bit during the game. Marvin still was Marvin. And, like, nobody else was themselves. And Marvin still was Marvin. And I'll be curious to see what the official totals on the drops are. But it's the, 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 the discussion we constantly have. Last week, when nothing else was working, they leaned into Marvin Harrison Jr. and said, go win us the game offensively. And they didn't do that today I like very much. And I go, I know they have 60-plus plays, that, not that many plays, so maybe eight targets for, for in that case, is pretty good. But he was the only part, Stephen. He was the only part of the passing game that was working at all. And that's not good because that's two weeks in a row. Last week, some of that's maybe play calling because of those bubble screens. And fine, maybe I'm too, I was a little too, you know, off the wind this week. And you know, maybe some of this is the win, but some of the, if the ball, I mean, Ameka said it after the game. And if you ask Brian Hartline, anybody else in that room, they'll say the same thing. If the ball touches your hands, you need to catch it. When you, especially in that room, that's supposed to be that good. It's, it's one thing if a ball is sailing on you or if it gets tipped by a defensive back like one of uh, Mecca's did or, you know, you have to change your trajectory a little bit. But if the ball is hitting your hands and you're not catching it, that's just on the receiver. That's on whether it's Cade Stover, whether it's a Mecca, Ibuka, whether it's Julian Fleming, because Marvin Harrison was getting those same balls and he's catching those ones. And so that's maybe, that's where I'm hard on the receivers more than anything else. The other stuff, that's things happen. But when the ball is hitting you in the hands, and you don't catch it, especially on a team who loves to throw it on second and 10. So now it's third and 10 because you didn't catch that ball. That sets this offense back even more. All right, let's talk about Ohio State's defense at least a little bit. Just very similar totals in this game. Total yards, Northwestern 285, Ohio State 283. Passing yards, Northwestern 79, Ohio State 76. Rushing yards, Northwestern 206, Ohio State 207. Uh, Northwestern did run more plays. Northwestern ran 76 plays to 61 for Ohio State. So then Northwestern uh, 3.8 yards per play. Ohio State 4.6 yards per play. Those fourth down stops obviously were important. They did not stop Northwestern on third down. The fourth down stops, though, were huge. They had three of them, Nathan, were were fourth and long, and Northwestern kind of went because there wasn't anything else to do where they were on the field and with the wind. And they were stopped on like a like a jet sweep kind of thing on fourth and eight where they got four. They threw incomplete passes on fourth and eight and fourth and nine. But again, I think maybe maybe the most important defensive series of the game for Ohio State, they ran Northwestern on its, its first drive of the second half around midfield, ran a quarterback sneak on third and one where Tommy Eichenberg jumped over the pile and grabbed the quarterback and stopped him short, which forced them to go on fourth and one. But Tommy Eichenberg's helmet came off when he made that play, so he had to be on the sideline. And I was like, hey, Tommy Tommy Eichenberg talked after the game. I said, like, hey, what's it like when you're in a situation like that and you lose your helmet and you have to be on the sideline for a big play like that? And he said, it sucks. <laughs> so he, he missed that play. And the result was they put Cody Simon at middle linebacker in Eichenberg's spot. They put Taraja Mitchell uh, sort of in that Sam linebacker spot that I think normally Simon would play in that situation, kind of off the edge. They put Neoteote on the other side as the fourth linebacker in that spot. And on that fourth and one, Nathan, 
He got penetration. Again, this guy played, what, three defensive snaps? Maybe it might, might have been his only defensive snap of the game. He got penetration. And if you guys go back and watch the replay, Teron Vincent at the point of attack stands up the center and gives no ground. And this one, they don't run the quarterback sneak. They do the direct snap to Evan Hull, who's the entire offense practically for Northwestern. And he tries to go up the middle. And that pressure on the edge from Neoteote and Teron Vincent refusing to be moved. Refusing. Refusing. A fifth-year senior in a moment like that, refusing to be moved. He, he pushes the pile back a little bit. It was a huge stop, Nathan. Because it, it just set things in motion. Because, again, like Northwestern wasn't going to do anything big. But at its best, when that offense worked at all, it was 4-3-5-2-4 with these direct snaps to the running back. And it had worked for four or five plays at the start of that drive. And Ohio State got that fourth down stop. And it was huge. And, and when they were needed, there were some guys on the defense who did make plays. No, I thought it was, it was a good adjustment, you know, bringing those fourth – that fourth backer onto the field a lot, you know, going with fewer cornerbacks, you know, cornerback was an issue at times today. JK Johnson had a, a big missed um, tackle on, I think on what was the touchdown run. There were a yep. couple other plays on the edge where I thought defensive backs didn't seal well, didn't make tackles uh, at the line of scrimmage. And they should have that opened up some of those gashes that Northwestern had. And, they brought in personnel who were getting it done. Uh, there was definitely a shift in this game, though. Is early on, I think you're right, that Northwestern figured out a solution first. You know, Ryan Day said early this week, when he was asked about the weather, so it wasn't until like Thursday, uh, but it was asked about the weather, and he said, hey, both teams are going to have to deal with it, so we'll just have to deal with it better. And I think when you factor in the talent disparity, I think Northwestern handled it better for most of this game. But Ohio State, just from a talent standpoint, was going to win out. Just to reemphasize that drive, it's the first drive of the second half. The game is tied at seven. Northwestern gets the ball first. They go two, five, four, nine. On first and 10, Evan Hull gets nine yards. The next three plays, zero, zero, zero. Ohio State gets the ball. Mayan Williams scores a touchdown. Ohio State goes ahead. That's that moment, Stephen, when that defense stood up. And we were trying to figure out, like, what did we think of the defense? Well, like in the end, Northwestern wasn't going to throw it either. They only what they only attempted six passes, I think. Is that right? They were Northwestern was five of six in the game. Oh no, they at one point they were only five of six, but then they actually had to throw a little bit late. They wind up ten yeah. of seventeen for seventy nine yards. They actually threw for more than Ohio State did. Of course, they were just as one dimensional. Evan Hall, who I said before the game, his arms might fall off. Thirty carries for one hundred and twenty two. Um, and then the quarterback, Sullivan, 12 carries, 55. Cam Porter, the other back, 11 carries for 50. 59 carries, 206 yards. Did you think – what did we think, Stephen? Like, was it a good defensive game for Ohio State? I thought it was a decent game because just like with the offense, the, the issue is the run game fixed. With the defense is can they stop the run? And there was only one drive, and it was the touchdown drive, where I felt like Ohio State's defense was getting gashed down the field the rest of the game it was i mean they're direct snapping at the hole most of the time and he's a pretty decent back so he's picking up yards here or there but it wasn't a bunch of explosive plays and in the moments where ohio state's defense needed to get stops like i think a key moment was they called a timeout 
And I don't know if it was another timeout on top of that, but it, it got to the point where both teams, it started raining a little bit and both teams were trying to hype up their side of the, the stadium to get the people hyped. And then they come up and get a stop. They got a stop in the moments when Ohio State needed to get a stop while you knew you were going to give up a couple of yards as well. So outside of that touchdown drive, yeah, I thought it was a decent day given the fact that it seems like they fixed the ability to stop the run, and we just weren't going to find out whether these corners are good or not this week because Northwestern doesn't. One, they weren't going to throw the ball anyway because of the wind, but two, even if it was 75 degrees and completely sunny with no wind at all, Northwestern's not a threat to pass the ball. That was a really a memorable sequence where the storm was coming. They had announced to us, like, hey, this storm is like imminently going to arrive, and both teams were calling timeouts down on the field. It was a late in the first half, and big, I mean, a very sparse crowd here today, actually, but a big contingent of Ohio State fans within that crowd. And there were definitely Ohio State players, you know, uh, lifting their arms and imploring the crowd into that moment. And that ended up with a, a big stop there. So that, that play really stood out in my mind because it felt like if Ohio State could get the ball back and score, which it did, that it could trigger some momentum into the second half because in the second half as much as the weather was like a huge thing it cleared up in the second half the wind was still here but everything else was looked much more normal from that point on so the last game that ohio state will play in this stadium ryan field is going to be blown up torn down i don't know what um last next year in 2023 will be its final year of existence according to the plan that northwestern has outlined ohio state is not playing Northwestern next year. And then in the 2024 and 2025 seasons, there will be no stadium here and Northwestern will play probably either at Soldier Field and Wrigley Field, balancing that. And so if Northwestern hosts Ohio State in 24 or 25, that's where it will be. And then there will be a new stadium in 2026. And so that's some, it'll be on this same spot. So they're tearing. It's like the whole discussion we've had around Ohio Stadium. Hey, what do you do? You got to tear a stadium down, and what? They're going to do it here. They're going to tear it down and and build the new one in the same spot. And that new rendering is going to be smaller, and it's not going to be a dome. But they they describe like every seat's going to be covered. It's almost going to have like I think it's going to have like a dome feel, but a hole in the roof. And I did think in the end, like I don't think you will play a game like this on Northwestern's campus at least, like ever again, because the deal this. Stadium, Ryan Field, and we're all sitting here in the press box looking out at it. It's so low. The bowl is so low. I mean, like the end of yep. the end zone, it's it's like 25 rows. So the wind, there's nothing blocking the wind. And the next time Ohio State plays in Evanston on a campus, like it's going to be completely different. So it allows this to happen. So you're never going to have a 40-mile-per-hour wind gust, I think, ever again. But you certainly had them. Uh, it certainly seemed that way on Saturday. So – we will try to, to continue to analyze what this means. We'll see you guys on the Monday podcast. We'll be talking with Ryan Day and players and coaches on Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Ohio State hosts Indiana. Next Saturday, we would invite you guys to read cleveland.com slash OSU. And, of course, try the texts at 614-350-3315. For now, Ohio State beats Northwestern 21-7. For Nathan Baird and for Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.